You're listening to Pocket Jasons, the podcast where your hosts Kieran, DJ, and Niall explore the overlapping worlds of Magic the Gathering and poker with you, one concept at a time. Except this week we do not have our intrepid trio. DJ has been busy with real life things this week, so we have uh, drafted in a podcast expert, uh, an old hand in the podcasting world. We have our friend Dave, Dave C. Murphy here. You may know him from uh, Moaning About Magic on Twitter. You may know him from his uh, wrestling podcast that he hosts. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing well, and uh, you are right. I am I'm a white middle-aged man, and many people have heard my opinion of many different things. It's important to get it out there, you know? <laughs> And we're going to hear more this week, because that's what we love doing, spitting <laughs> hot takes, <laughs> just again and again, that's what we're doing. So yeah, we're, we're going to have Dave on uh, this week. Dave is a very accomplished Magic player, has some uh, nice GP finishes, has played for the, has, is, a, is a national champion for Ireland of Magic, has played for the Irish team at the World Magic Cup, uh, and generally is a good man to go to when you want to hear some hot takes about a new format, so we've, we've drafted him in this week. Thank you, thank you. Nice to be here. Welcome. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so happy to have you. Niall, how are you doing this week? Good. Um, I have survived 50 NL, which is good news. Uh, we finished our challenge, and I had about 5,000 hands, and I broke even. Um, and then Poker Stars gives you a new challenge. So I did the new one, and then I went down like three or four buy-ins and quit. So um, I looked at my sample, and I ran ridiculously hot over my initial mm, okay. sample. So... Again, as discussed last week, the game is very beatable, um, and with a bit of work, we'll we'll do it. But um, been playing some twenty five NL, just normal tables on stars, and they've been very very soft. Apart from that, I have been just drafting Cal time like a demon. So I'm well prepared for this week. Can't wait to talk about it. How are you, Kieran? Excellent. I'm good. Yeah, I've been playing some fifty NL as well. I've been playing on eight 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 because I read an account there just to see how the games are. Mm-hmm. Definitely seems it seems soft. There's definitely like you see regs in the pool and everything. I'm playing their their equivalent of a zoom there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the games do seem fairly soft. Some really really fishy, just complete terrible players that like you would you would don't really see in the stars pool very often. You see them a lot more at eight eight eight. So okay. definitely there there's a lot more kind of juicy spots with them. But obviously there are decent regs, just like in any Zoom pool. Um, I'm not doing great there either. I'm, I'm down some buy-ins, and it kind of sucks. It's like, I, th- I think you feel the same, Nile, where it's like, these games are beatable, but we aren't really rolled to play them. So it's like, when you go down a couple buy-ins, it kind of stings. You're just like, it oh does. boy. Yeah, so that's the thing. I'm kind of rethinking, do I even want to play cash at the moment? Like, if I'm not going to be able to put in the volume to actually see my skill kind of work out at 50 nl and i can just run bad and just and just lose my role i'm like do i really want to do this should i just mm. go back to playing mtts you know because that mtts i feel like you know you can just spike one you don't really need to uh to play as much to kind of uh see the payoff so i don't know i'm kind of i'm kind of in between it at the moment but still been having some fun playing um yeah, so poker's been good as a, when it comes to Magic. Yep, yeah, been drafting Cal time a bit. I haven't done that many. I've done less than 10 drafts. I'd say I've done maybe seven or something like that. Um, and I've been playing a good bit of standard. It's, it's really re- revitalized uh, what I, what I, what I, my, my love for playing standard. Because uh, up until now, I feel like the decks have been the same for a long time. Even with the bands and the rotation and everything, it just kind of felt like, mm. you know, nothing had changed basically since the start of the format after rotation. 
Um, so it's really, really nice. Basically, all the decks are new now, except Rogues. Rogues, Rogues has stuck around, but we'll get into that uh, when we get into our main topic. But before we get into Magic, uh, some poker news this week. We've been keeping up to date with the Daniel Negreanu Doug Poke Challenge. Uh, it's finally over. It, it has concluded, and Doug Poke is your winner. So it's nice for me. I had had a little bit of money on it, so I was I was happy to see that. Managed to cash that in and add it to the add it to the yeah fifty NL bank. But yeah, so after twenty five thousand hands, Doug uh, ended uh, with a nice heater for the final session, which he ended up two hundred seventy k to bring his final total to being up one million two hundred seventy thousand dollars. Uh, or so so huge huge win for doug uh you know plus whatever he won on side bets and stuff like that so uh i don't know did you guys get to uh, watch any of the final action or the interviews or anything like that i watched the interview so i can get you guys up to speed on that if you haven't yep i watched the interview um i, I watched doug's post post challenge interview and um what i find really really interesting was the size of the team he had behind him um, amazing, amazing, amazing yeah. work. Um, so he had to fill the audience, and he had two coaches who were just dedicated heads up, no limit coaches. He had three or four guys who were like technical guys who would do all the the, the solving for him. So he would like whenever Daniel would deploy a new size, they have to create new ranges for everything basically, and they essentially do that for Doug. Um, he sent every session to his coach every day, and he got like. The next day, he got updated notes and you know criti- criticisms of his play. He also had around twenty upswing members visually tracking the match. You know, so we use like a HUD or a, a tracker on online poker to create a database and create stats on our opponent. But on the site that the guys were playing on, that wasn't allowed. It wasn't allowed as part of the the challenge. But what is allowed is you were allowed to visually track the hands and manually create a database. So they had about 20 people doing that and giving Doug like a spreadsheet every day with all the stats and things like that. It's wild. Just an incredible, huge collaborative work, really. And it just shows what modern poker is. You know, it's amazing. It's it's wild, yeah. So th- th- I didn't even think about that part about the HUDs. I was like, wow, these guys are doing a lot of work. But apparently they were there. They were tracking everything, you know, seabed frequency, delayed seabed, probing the turn, yep. you know, how often Daniel was, you know, check raising on certain flops and stuff like that. And they had this 20-tab 20 t- 20 spreadsheet, you know, open that, that the- then is also helping the guys who were making those sims, right? It's helping them generate mm-hmm. their because, – because then they, they can tell from that. They can find out, you know, Daniel's exact – you know, opening range uh, in a given session because that's going to change from session to session, right? So, yeah. pretty wild. And I'm sure Daniel had a team behind him as well. Um, what I was thinking was, it was like, even though Daniel's a more famous player and everything like that, has access to kind of more friends in high places, he might not have the type of friends who would be that useful for this type of work. Like, right. the fact that Doug runs a training site... And, you know, has all these people who are invested in, in Piosolver and, you know, these coaches who are still at the top of their game and stuff like that that he knows. That's mm-hmm. better than, you know, knowing Phil Helmet and Phil Ivy or whatever. Wait, They're not what, much help in did, this situation, Did you guys right? hear what, one of the things Helmet was saying before the challenge? I don't know how, how true no. it is because the guy obviously BSs a lot. But he was like, oh, you know, I, I think Daniel, he was one of the only people pros who was betting that Daniel would win. And he was mm-hmm. saying, oh, I think Daniel's going to win because I have a heads-up coach. And, you know, I spoke to them two hours and I was doing better. So I sent him Daniel's way. Daniel's going to win. <laughs> if that's just, like, the yeah. extent of what your coaching is, like, oh, I met a guy that 
gave me a few pointers and I send them to Daniel, you know, if that's what that generation thinks coaching and poker is, they're, they're lagging right. severely behind. It's just worlds apart, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And like, uh, yeah, apparently very funny. So like, uh, Doug was saying, you know, during the match or whatever, or like not during the match, during his previous uh, sessions or whatever, where he was learning his coach was railing him or whatever. And he was saying they were not, they were not being nice to him. You know, he was making these calls or whatever on the river and his coach was like, oh, that's interesting. That's a pure fold there. That's a pure fold. <laughs> good, you know, so uh, very interesting. Yeah. Like now to be fair, in terms of how they were speaking about each other after the interview, um, Doug gave a lot of credit to Daniel. Uh, so Doug, well, I bet his own skill first, Doug said, Starting, he was starting from scratch before the challenge. Obviously, hadn't played a hand of poker in over a year. Uh, he was posting his graphs that he was getting crushed trying to play 100 NL online uh, against regs. He was, he was, you know, lost lost a decent amount in his training beforehand. He says now that uh, after the challenge, he feels like he's the best player in the world currently. Yeah, best heads up, uh, no limit player in the world, which is probably fair, uh, especially with being being coached by these insane, you know. Uh, like uh, insane, like hotshot coaches that he was. Uh, he said the names two Scandinavian guys. Uh, one of them is like Button Masher, I think. Button Clicker and yeah, Button Clicker. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was very funny. Great name and another guy I can't remember the guy's name, but he yeah. said he was like those guys. I put a top ten in the world, and he's like, oh, I'm probably killing their action there by saying that. Whoops. But he was, <laughs> you know, he was like, yeah, those yeah, those two guys are sick. But he also said um, he said Daniel. He thought like at the start wasn't much of a player, but he said he was amazed at how much. Daniel grew as a heads-up player over the course of the challenge. He could see Daniel kind of uh, learning these new concepts and adjusting and stuff like that. And he said that uh, basically he thinks Daniel is like a top-tier heads-up, no-limit player now after the challenge. Uh, and he says he do, you know he doesn't want to hear anyone talking shit about Daniel's skill and no-limit. Like, and he would crush anyone that you put him put to challenge against him. Basically, right. that isn't top ten of the world at this point. So I thought that was very respectful of Doug. Um, watch Daniel's interview after that. Okay. Uh, and to his credit, Daniel said, yeah, you know, Doug's the better player. He was he expected to win. He won, blah, blah, blah. Still just went back into his draggy talk after that, man. I couldn't believe it. He was like, yeah, just like uh, Doug was talking about, you know, all these bluffs that he got through. But actually, I think uh, a lot of the time when he was bluffing, he actually had the best hand and I made good folds. He's a drag. He's a drag. <laughs> I mean, what... What yeah. is he talking I'll about? Speak like what is he talking abilities. about? Like obviously he'd slaughtered a majority of players, but his just the way he talked throughout this whole thing, I think, was such a disgrace. And I, I feel like such a boomer saying that, you know, like so, so just giving out about a the athlete doing an end zone dance or something. But his, his language throughout the whole thing is what you'd hear in the fucking the the low drag stakes, you know. Oh, I got so unlucky. Yeah. Oh, my my flush didn't come in. I don't know what to do on the river. There's nothing you could do. He's just running so much better than me. Get out of here. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, and like that exact sentence that he's saying, like uh, he said, like oh, it's like he uh, they said he had a sick bluff with queen high, but actually I had six high that hand, so I folded. It's like so it's all it's it's like that statement is almost like he doesn't understand what a range is you know what i mean right like that he thinks that doug is blah, blah, only bluffing against his exact exact hand and not his range in that scenario which obviously he does so like what why is he saying that like what is the purpose but, behind his it's just this bizarre ego thing that he just can't ever it, seem to let go right it's just like a lot of mental gymnastics i think as well just like, mm. it, I think there's, like, some cognitive dissonance there. Like, obviously Daniel's a smart guy. His pattern recognition's probably off the fucking charts. But, 
you know, yeah, yeah, I couldn't have said it better than you, Kieran. Does he does he not know these like the words that are coming out of his mouth? You'd swear that he doesn't get the concepts when he he has to, really, doesn't he? Um, of course. Yeah. Do you think he's running the long con? He's like, if I talk like an idiot, maybe other people will think I'm an idiot, and I'll get more of these challenges and win some of my melee back. Maybe. Well, on that note, very interestingly, uh, Joey Ingram tweeted yesterday that Phil Galfond has said he'd be very interested in playing a heads-up challenge against Nirvana. <laughs> and he's Sorry. yeah, and he's and he's happy to play No Limit. He doesn't want to play PLO. Wow. He says he'll play him at No Limit. Well, that that maybe the sharks are so yeah. Good. I was about to say <laughs> yeah, maybe that shows yeah. that uh, that dog was being way too polite there at the end. If people are just jumping at the opportunity to play Daniel at the game, he's just studied for how long has it gone? Two, three months. Yeah, two months, something like that, I think. Daniel has studied 24 hours a day for like two and a half months. And players that don't even play heads up, don't even play no limit, are jumping to play him. Maybe that's saying something about how he's played, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and now it is Phil Galfont. The guy is a god. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, no limit's not his best game. it hasn't, you know, it hasn't been his best game since fucking 2007 or something, probably. I don't know when the last time. It's only his fifth best after Raz, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, that could be an interesting match, you know. But like, the thing is, like, Phil is just such a. I don't think I don't think Daniel would ever accept a match against against Phil. Like, uh, no, I think there's kind of nothing in it for him. You know what I mean? It's like there's no there's no drama there. Even like Phil has just like quietly dismantled three of the best PLO players in the world. Heads up. Or, sorry, two of the best player, two of the best in Bill Perkins. And Bill Perkins, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, at the, you know, last year. And uh, and there's no, like, there's never going to be any kind of uh, heat there between them, right? You know what I mean? It's like, Phil's just too nice a guy. He's not going to be talking any shit and making the right. challenge fun for anyone to watch. He's just going to sit there and, and win. So I don't think that's going to happen. But I would love to see Nagranu play more heads up hold'em. And, like... I think Doug is being honest. I don't think he has anything to lie about there to, to saying that Daniel is, you know, is up there now and heads up no limit skill. Again, you don't know what type of team is behind him and stuff like that, but you know, Doug had that team as well, so so that's saying nothing, you know, both players had that. Yeah. Yeah, part of the uh part of the incentive for for uh Daniel as well was that because it was such a beef and there was so much heat on the match, it's like free publicity, isn't it? So um given the lack of heat that's going to be on any future match, he, who knows if he will or not, but he has picked up this amazing skill set now. You know, being a top heads up player isn't isn't easy to do, and he's done this over the course of two or three two or three months. If I were him, I wouldn't be letting that skill go to waste. I'd be using it and seeing seeing if that, I could make money off this skill. You know, a hundred percent. And for him, as such a high profile player who's able to kind of get TV poker, you know, deals and stuff like that pretty easily. Probably using that skill, playing a, a highly publicized challenge, is a far better is far better EV than just him just trying to play against you know regs or whatever at high right. stakes, right? right? So it would make sense. It would make sense, and I would like to see it happen. You know, it's um, but I would like to see him lose again. That's the yeah. thing. I don't really want to see him win. I, a challenge, I, I'd, I'd like to see it. Happen. I want him in the gutter. Yeah, I'd like to see it happen so, again. So he has to get a smaller house eventually. You know. <laughs> yeah, but um. It's a funny one, yeah. I think Doug has said pretty unequivocally that there will not be uh, a round two between him and Daniel. Anyway, he's done. He doesn't like playing poker, man. He he doesn't like playing poker. And he said he said even in his winning interview, he said, "Listen, when I do something, I have to be all the way in or all the way out." And this basically has just been, you know, all he's lived, eaten and breathed for the last yeah. three months, so or last six months probably. So 
he he doesn't want to do it again. Basically, he's he's happy to you know go back go back to to running upswing and his other interests and stuff What's, like that. So right. it's it, it is probably a, a goodbye to Doug, but it's a great send off. Probably the the best challenge in the history of of you know the online poker world. So uh, fair fair play to Doug and fair play to, to Daniel for sticking it through and not yeah. quitting and quitting halfway through as well. You know, What's, not not to linger on the topic too long, but what, what's really interesting about Doug and I've always liked about him. One, calling out someone that, you know, was in blackface once is a nice aspect of Doug. But uh, yeah. t- two, he's one of those people that's something I really envy in them, and pro- probably why I think he'd beat people like Daniel 9 times out of 10, is his dedication and his laser focus are insane. Like, I- I've met people yeah. like this in Magic that literally don't do anything else but play Magic for 12 hours a day. And I don't mean, like, a little bit of Magic. I don't mean Magic talking to friends and, like, Having a bit of fun, I mean, laser focused, trying to be perfect magic, and that's so draining yeah. and impressive to see from people. It it is amazing, and like you can see how he got to that level in the first place, and I think it's like it's 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 incredible how how fast he got back to that top level as well after being away for a year, you know, and and the methods of training being totally different, you know, all the solver stuff. Uh, like the the intricacy, the level of knowledge you need about Sims and GTO and stuff like that. I mean, that was that was coming around, and that was one of the reasons why he quit quit poker originally was because he didn't like that. Mm-hmm. But and so he wasn't so invested in that. But the fact that even when it's something he doesn't like, the fact that he can put himself into it so much and perform to such a high level with with so little training time is is incredible. Yeah. Like he's 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 an amazing a, you know whatever like a athlete. <laughs> I don't know what you want to call totally, it. Yeah. just gamer. Gamer, pro gamer. Uh, but yeah, so that'll that'll do us for talking about poker this week. We're going to move on to Magic the Gathering because we have a new set. Uh, Niall, DJ, and I have been talking about it the last couple of weeks, talking about cards we thought were going to be good and so forth. We've had a week with the set now uh, on Arena, so we're going to start off talking about Limited. So I guess before we talk about overall impressions of the format... Uh, I think a nice place to start is what are the cards we thought were good and didn't perform so well, and what cards overperformed for you guys? So, Dave, let's uh, let's start with you as the guest. I will start with overperform, if you guys don't mind. Mm-hmm. Sure. Go for it. Uh, the oh, I need to look up the card's name. The Green Wolf. Um, pack Beast. Um, Sorolf's yeah. Pack yeah, Beast. Yeah, Sorolf's. Yeah. Sorolf's Pack Mate. Pack Mate. Uh, this card has overperformed for me, which is seems silly. I think I should probably know this card is excellent. I knew it was good, but I had a, a firm second behind and commons and green behind struggle. But struggle, mm-hmm. uh, I won't say underperformed. It's a fight spell uh, that costs like one mana sometimes. It's fine, but it isn't really what the format's about. And spirit, uh, the sorry, packmate is just way better. Like so much better. To the extent where it might be better than a bunch of the uncommons in the set. And it's also kind of fallen into exactly what you want to be doing in the format, which is drawing cards, grinding out games, and a little tacked on bonus is no creature has more than tree toughness. It's impossible, no creature has more than tree toughness. Yeah, that's it's one of the main things about the format, I think. And this is probably, we're probably going to go back to this again and again. The thing about the foretell cards, especially the creatures, is they just allow you to keep these two land five spell hands and just be totally fine with it. And especially Sorolf's Packmate, because the cantrip means you're so likely to hit that third land drop on on turn three, even if even if you don't draw it naturally. Right. And you end up with a three-three. It's just it it 
if you have like two of those in your deck, it it makes the amount of like non-keepable hands like almost negligible. You you get to keep almost every seven card hand. Absolutely. Um, I was going to mention it's kind of one of the elephants in the room, but both blue and green. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about green now since we're on green. It's just really deep color. It's got green's got the wolf. It's got the fight spell. It's got the um, the mana door, the mana elf. Um, yeah. Uh, three like excellent, excellent commons. These are like would be the best common in the in most limited sets. You know, in, in the mm-hmm. color, and um, we have three of them. Blue has four bonkers commons. Like it's got the raven. Um, it's got bind the monster. It's got the uh, Miss Walker, the one four flyer, and it's got uh, what was the other? Oh, the the draw spell. Behold the multiverse. Yeah. But, yeah. Again, all bonkers. four of those yeah. would be premium first pick commons in most other limited sets and we've got four so for me that pushes green and blue up to the top i think those two colors are clearly clearly the best Um, i I agree especially blue i think blue is mm. is is pretty clearly the best behold the multiverse whatever it's called yep uh don't understand why that's not an uncommon seems like it clearly should be an uncommon feels like it like the the ability to just have like two or three of these in your deck and just build your deck around this kind of draw card advantage thing where you get to draw a go and like play lots of removal spells and just like one big threat at the end and um, feels like something that shouldn't happen in like every every draft but it kind of can you know yeah and like what dave said about the creatures not having more than three toughness it is kind of a small creature format uh, well apart from the Mistwalker, the one four flyer is now said which is one of the best commons in the set it's it's like if you're playing against Boros Agro or something like that, and even if you don't have a two drop, if you have the blue Raven or you have the Soros Packmate in your hand, you're just like I'm gonna get to play a three three on turn three guaranteed, even if I don't hit my third land here, and I'm just gonna stonewall any aggro decks attackers. So if I'm against aggro, I'll be fine, and if I'm not against aggro, I'll be especially fine because I'm super not punished. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, th- these foretell spells um, that lead into cheap creatures or cheap card draw, just exceptionally good. I think, Dave, you make a really interesting point about the fight spell. Sorry that we don't know the card names offhand here, guys, but uh, it's, the, it's the first week. Struggle of something. Struggle for, yeah, struggle uh, for some card. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that, I think, is really interesting, because I do think that card is very good, but I think, Dave, you made me think about it in an interesting way there, where you're, you're like, it's not really what the format's about. And that's true. It's like fighting one random creature for one mana, like getting to play a three-drop and... A, you know, or a two drop and, and, and cast this for one mana and kill one of their creatures often doesn't really, even putting a counter on your thing, often doesn't lead you to a situation where you're just going to steamroll the game from there. Like, like the boards still end up very clogged and like killing one, like all the creatures are kind of interchangeable on the board. Killing one of their creatures is kind of the same as killing another. So when there's not often like a clear high value target for you to fight and take out, it's just those removal spells just aren't as aren't as good, right? Agreed, agreed. And um, I find as well that um, equipment and enchantments in this set have overperformed. And I think the reason is, first of all, they're pushed. You have that cycle of enchantments where it comes into play and you draw a card and it gives the creature haste or flying the runes, or yeah. the runes. Yeah, they're kind of pushed. So you draw a card, they replace themselves. But also, like there's a, there are a lot of board stalls. So turning your like four four into a five five that can like requires a double block or just like outperforms their 4-4 or something like that can be really key and you're kind of just like as you say guys you're not like it's not one threat matters it's that the quality of your your threats across the board matter a lot more than 
you know, the silver bullets, basically. Well, I, I think. I'll, I'll give you with that one of my underperforming cards, I, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of runes, which I do think are kind of blanket good, I think the white rune has underperformed for me a lot. Because, again, speaking of what the format wants to do, I don't like mid-range decks in white. Like, I, I like fast decks in white. I, I think white has the equip, the kind of uh, equipment to challenge the format sometimes. I think it's probably the worst color, but I like my white-black. Mm-hmm. I want my, like my white-red decks. I even like my white-blue tempo-based decks to be fast. I like them to have flyers that hit fast, and I found when they try and grind people out, the green decks outgrind you. I like my white-green deck, though I'm not a big fan of the combination, to be aggro and punishing people for foretelling. So it means that the white ruin, which sets you up to, you know, race very well by giving something lifelink, just wasn't that relevant. Like, I didn't care that I was drawing a right. card off and giving something lifelink just wasn't that important the majority of the time for me. Yep, totally. And, like, so the the blue one is pretty good. Gives gives flying, doesn't give a stat yeah. boost. Mm-hmm. But if you're against blue and they just have that one four flyer and play the Mistwalker, it doesn't do anything. So, right. Yeah, that, that card is just bonkers, the the one for it. Yeah, the runes are great, especially because you can attach them to any permanent, um, so they just always cantrip. Which, but like that's actually slightly less important than I thought it would be because the foretell cards just mean that you don't have as many kind of road bumpy hands that you need to smooth out. Right. The foretell foretell just does that for you anyway, right? So that they kind of lose value for that reason. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think. If we're moving around, um, I think like yeah, overperforming for me. I've said it a bunch of times. Is is that Miss Walker, the one four flyer? Uh, at first, now you you were very quick to call this out as possibly the best blue common. Possibly. Uh, and when I first read it, I was like, Niles, Niles off his head here. What is he talking about? Like, <laughs> uh, very quickly, I I then st- I then in my next draft picked it pretty high because you said that. I was like, let's try this out, and I was just like, oh yeah, this card's nuts. Stonewalls everything, and then. Just the ability is just amazing in the air. Just ends the game at a reasonable clip. The sh- the fact that it's a changeling, um, yep. or a shapeshifter that has changeling rather, is huge. Um, it's kind of one thing I don't like about this set very much is that it doesn't really feel like very much work to get tribal payoffs because there are so many good shapeshifters anyway right. that you don't you just don't have to work hard because you're just going to put these good shapeshifter cards in your decks anyway and then and then you just incidentally get these tribal payoffs that you're that you're looking for like giants is probably the one that you care about the most in terms of tribal mm-hmm. uh and like i just always end up with like two to three Mistwalkers in my deck as the only non-giants but like if they weren't shapeshifters, that would be that would be a lot worse for me, right? Whereas okay. now my deck is just all giants, and also it's like a three drop that stops aggro that would normally be the counter to the giants deck, right? Because it's trying to play these big giants that are all like four drops and five drops. So I I think the design there is like not my f- my favorite thing. I feel like it just kind of homogenizes the format and makes all the decks feel kind of the same. Yeah. Um... I, I agree with all that. Um, with regards to Miss Walker specifically, I think that for blue, depending on your build, any of those four blue commons we mentioned can be a pick given different scenarios. As you said, if you're like blue, blue red giants, you want Miss Walkers. If you're like blue black Drago, you want, you know, glimpse the, uh, behold the multiverse and you want the, you know, the root, the, the buy the monster, things like that. And then just in most decks, I think in a vacuum, the Raven's probably the best one. 
I, I would imagine. I, if pack, pack one, pick one, I think I'd just slam a raven. Um, that's interesting. I might take... I don't know what I'd take pick one, pack one. That's interesting. I, um, what do you think, Dave? I think it comes completely down to your preference of drafting. And I don't think that's a okay. popular thing to say. But I learned some important lessons over the last couple of years. I'm going to give a shout out to uh, a Twitch channel, which is the Ham TV. Uh, Ham or Kyle Rose, probably the best player not to be in the Magic Hall of Fame. Drafts when a new set especially comes out infinite. He's always one of the top trophy leaders. He's always uh, preaching different incredible types of draft. Incredible. incredible. The, incredible maybe stream, the best limited player, player of all time. Like, like insane, Agreed. insane yeah. player. Uh, I, I, growing up a lot, went on uh, uh, a drafting strategy that I don't like anymore, which was the Ben Stark one. Uh, and just Channel Fireball one in general, which is, like, it's how we all talk about draft picks now. It's, what is the best X comment? Because they kind of innovated right. that. A lot of those American pros were like, well, we need a draft order, especially Rochester drafting. We need a draft order. Mm-hmm. What is yeah. the order of picks? Was it even the Dutch, the first ones to bring the list to a Rochester draft? But but anyway, we, we all think of draft comments like that. Where Ham, right. a couple times on his channel, has said, well, I have a preference. And he explains what he means. Like, if, he's got, if he is picking first picking a blue card and he wants to be in Giants all the time, he thinks that's the best deck. He's had the most success with it. He rates certain cards higher than other people do. He's going to take the 1-4 instead of the Raven every time, right? Right. Because right. it's not actually yep. about yep. being the most open all the time. I don't believe that a Ben... Yep. I call 100%. it the Ben Stark way of drafting. He's like, if I'm open all the time, I'm always 2-1. Or if you're open all the time, you're leaving more trios on the table. I'm not saying take aggressive turns. I'm saying if you've had more success with Giants, if the picks are close, pick the 1-4. Which the picks are, like I, I think, think you're, cor- yeah. I, I think you're correct. I think they're all better in different decks. Um, I, I think if you like blue black control, maybe the one four is still better because you could find other ways to win, and the one four is a great blocker. If you like the other archetypes better, the Ravens probably the best card out of those two, you know. But you, right. the, the the these pick orders are only ever really good for pick one pack one. And then the pick order should be probably thrown directly into the bin because I think it's probably not helping the rest of your draft. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Like um the most the most success I've had in limited is where I like a deck or a couple of decks in the format and the population in my in my mind underrate them or something like that. So for example, like in Zendikar Limited, I just thought like blue black or sorry, blue red um wizards was bonkers and it was so deep and yeah. slightly underdrafted. So you kind of just like bias yourself towards that. And then you just like go on the streak of seven nils and just fucking, you know, just own the format. I, yeah. I think and, uh, when you see, yeah. And we're not encouraging you to take like corner case cards because they're good in archetypes. I'm telling, no. I'm telling you, if the one four and the raven are like nearly negligible in your view, you should take the one you think has the highest upside. I think personally, I like the mist yeah. walker better because I very much mm. like giants, and I think it's. So good in Giants. I think that card's incredible in Giants. Okay. And I really like blue-green high synergy decks. Not only snow, five color, but like I love uh I love elves, like random blue-green elves that have synergies or I like um There's a changeling changeling synergies type deck in blue green as well. Yeah. Miss Walker fits right into that. Yeah, you get the you know the the saga that makes them your changelings into four fours or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, small small synergies like that I enjoy in my decks. And I, I could be wrong, but if I'm having the most success for that, I also do think you should, and this is in the early days of the draft, try everything. So I'm not telling you draft Giants twice and decide never to draft anything else. Sometimes you should take the Raven for balance and science. You should see what the yep, Raven's yep. better in. Do you like those decks better? How are you going to change your evaluations? 
you should only take these stark kind of differences from the population when you've been playing, you've done like 50 drops and you've got a definite preference and you right. think an archetype is better than the others. Because uh, just because you yeah. lean towards giants, I take the one four uh, mist walker, and I'm leaning towards giants. Doesn't mean I should be completely inflexible and not go back to like blue white just because I wanted to be in giants. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think there's a uh, just just going circling back to what you were saying about um, you know, like the Ben Stark way of drafting, and this is what the pros say to do. I remember there was a very interesting thread on Elor. The, the limited resources subreddit before that they addressed on uh, on the podcast where uh, you know the way Marshall and LSV would always be like oh you know even if you take a, a bomb first pick or whatever you should only expect to play it about half the time or whatever because you might not end up in those colors right you shouldn't force those colors yep yeah and this was a year or two ago I remember and a viewer actually looked at all of LSV's video drafts on Channel Fireball from like the last year and he was like, well, I did the stats, and actually every time you first pick a rare, you actually end up in playing it like 75 to 80% of right. the time, you know? And I, uh, they kind of were like, oh, well, maybe LSV's doing it, you know, for the video, for the memes or whatever, sometimes. But it, it, to me, that actually brought up a thing where, like, draft is not like it used to be. Uh, for one thing, bombs are, like, probably worth forcing more than they used to be like there's more fixing in sets a lot of the time you know it's it's kind of easier to splash because we get we get kind of quality of life stuff that makes it easier to do so and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but it's yeah that drafting the hard way style that you said the ben stark style i still think that's an important thing for every new player to learn and that's a really important concept for you to grasp because that's kind of the way that you learn about openness and kind of your seat and stuff like that but it's also important to know when to throw it away, uh, which formats it's good to do that in, like when you have a strong preference, stuff like that. I, I think that's important as well. So I, I still think it is relevant, but in a different way than it well, used to. Well, I, I think you brought an excellent point up there, and that can go back to what Niall was saying, uh, is uh, what both of you guys were saying, is the depth of colors in Modern Magic. So this set shows it off a lot in blue and green, having almost no unplayable commons. Like, most of their commons are right. fine to have in a main yes, deck. Yes, exactly. So if I end yeah. up taking, like, let's say a Starheim Unleashed, the stupid angel card that no one, everyone wished didn't exist. That's stupid mythic. I take that first. And very clearly, uh, black, uh, let's say black-blue is open. But I decide just to pick the blue cards. And I only end up with a handful of white playables. There's so many playables in blue, it didn't matter that I followed the direction as much. And I think Correct. color depth... Yeah has left two things open. One, it's it actually allows forcing a bit more because as long as you find one open avenue, a lot of the times you're going to end up with a reasonable deck as long as it's not completely jam cut off because you're going to get one pack of your opposite color in pack two. And it lets you also mm-hmm. kind of do the Ben Stark thing of staying open and longer. So you have to be able to do both. You can abandon your first five picks sometimes and still end up with a perfectly cromulent deck in this format, right? Yeah. Like, that. that's absolutely fine. I like the, the funny... I, I think people don't understand, Dave, what you're talking about if they're newer players, where in the past, say, like, I'm saying in the past, like, 10 years ago, say, uh, 8 years ago, something like that, if you, like, uh, if you tried to force colors and it didn't work out back in the day, you would end up with, like, 19 playables. Yeah, with train wreck. Right. Yeah. Actual train wreck. That, as Dave says, that just doesn't really happen Play basic lands instead and of unplayables. This brings me... 
Exactly. Literally, you're playing. You're playing. Uh, you're playing like twenty land aggro. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's because that's literally all you, all you can do. Uh, but I think this this actually a card I want to spotlight for this is a card that caused a lot of debate on the Discord that that we're on, which is Raven Form, and also talking about overperforming or underperforming. There's a lot of heated debate about this card. So Raven Form is two and a blue sorcery, exile target, artifact or creature. Its controller creates a one one flying bird token. And it has foretell for a single blue. So you can pay two to exile it and then pay the single blue. So it's it's the same price overall, but you get the layaway plan. Now, originally, this was kind of up for debate. How good was it? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, one of the extremely good players uh, in Ireland, Alex Ball, I'm going to call him out. I'm not, you know, we're not, you know, we're going to roast him for this one a little bit. Literally, pro- probably the best limited player, uh, best Irish limited player, I would say. You know, has a top four to team limited GP. Yeah. I think top two to another limited GP. Is that right, Dave? The Sydney GP? Was that yeah, he lost in the finals of a Sydney uh, GP. Lost in yeah. the finals. Yeah, just a very, very good, all-round excellent uh, Magic player, but especially has excelled in limited. Uh, he's really high on Raven form, was since the start, and the rest of us were all kind of like, oh, what's going on? Is this really good? And over the week, we kind of had a few conversations and he's still relatively high on it, but he's come down. Uh, originally, he was saying maybe it's the best common. Now he's saying maybe it's a C plus. I think the three of us, we were all talking about it. We were saying it's more like a D plus, maybe a C minus. You know what I mean? We're, right. we're definitely around a, a grade lower on it. But that's not really the conversation I want to have. What I want to bring up is, Dave, you made the point of like, yeah, I would only play a Raven form if it's like literally my 23rd card, my last card <laughs> yeah. that I have to make my deck. Imagine 10 years ago, that would be like your 15th card or something like You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. like, it's the, the card quality is so high now that we can afford to like call actual removal spells garbage, you know, which is essentially what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's insane. I, I love the conversation with Alex. Alex is a very unique magic player and, and that I, I disagree with his pick order and I think the population do at large, but uh, he's such a technically proficient player. And uh, I, I think the, his, um, leaning on this raven form argument we have needled him a lot for it on discord but i think it's because he has such coherent plans he's made the card work a point he's made is he's turned his own creature into a one one many times for the win but i think that comes from really structured long-term play where he can map out racing situations really well and i think it's something he's quite good at to know when that's doable And other players keep in mind this is like this is like the average like silver or gold tier arena limited player playing against a, a two-time GP top four competitive player. Exactly. You know what I mean? He is he is out he is outplaying them every turn. He's pro- proper game. proper good, and arena is yeah. very very soft. So. Yeah, he. Uh, it's just. But again, listen, we'll have we'll have to have Alex on here to defend himself. I don't want to sure. him too much when he can't defend himself. Yeah. But yeah, it just shows how what? good I think. Good, like good players with plans are. I think it's very really similar yeah. in poker, actually, where especially at especially my level, you you're guys you guys are obviously a level above me in poker or a, co- a couple of levels above me in poker. Uh, mm-hmm. Having a coherent plan and structure to your play is a lot of the time more valuable than being absolutely right. Because who can be absolutely yeah, right in either of those games, yeah. like poker or Magic? It's so hard to be absolutely right, and in lots of cases, there is no absolute right. So if you have no absolute mm. right, playing to your maximum efficiency is much uh, is much more important. And I have a feeling that's what's happening with Alex here. Yeah, but uh, anyway, so Raven Forum. We'll be interested to hear your uh, your thoughts on that, guys. Let us know uh, on the on the Pocket Jace's uh, podcast Twitter how how that card's been for you. 
but yeah, moving on. Uh, I think we've kind of done the overrated, underrated thing. We've kind of done, well, we've done color strength in terms of we think green and blue are the best. I know Niall and I do. Do you, do you agree with that, Dave? Yeah, probably. Green, green, blue, black. Green by a mile. And then the other yeah. colors, just because green yeah. facilitates these deck, the, the four or five color decks that have become prevalent and just letting you play a, a plethora of good cards. Yep. Yep, I agree with that. And then for me, uh, in terms of weak colors, I feel like white is clearly the weakest color. Um... To the point where I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I actively try not to play it, but I think it's just so shallow that it's very rare that I have a reason to want to go into it. Would you guys agree with that? It, it's shallow in a unique way where it's shallow because all there is is aggressive cards. So if you don't want to be mm. aggressive, you don't want to be in white, and a lot of color pairings don't want to be aggressive. So. It seems shallow in comparison, but if you look at the average card, like that 2-1 that makes a 1-1 when it dies, tables routinely. It's a fantastic card and lots of other sets that would be a premium common, I think. Yeah, I I think white's just not holding up on par and toughness with most of its commons to yeah. blue or green. That's fair. Um, like bo- both both blue and green have a, a premium 3-3 common that, you know, the 2-3s and 2-1s of the world in white just aren't, aren't stacking up against, you know? Um, and the aggro thing isn't really working for it. Um, I think red is kind of shallow, but it's a support color, really. It's got frostbite, it's got demon bolt, or whatever you call it, and it's got squash. Um, but all the most of the creatures are pretty trashy. Um, so I think red's good in, like, blue-red giants, and it's good when you pair it with green as well, just as yeah. kind of green-red fat deck. Um, mm, but yeah. apart from that, I wouldn't... I wouldn't be picking like I, I i haven't drafted a good red aggro deck or red white aggro deck yet i don't think they exist because i think the three threes um in the other colors are just too good yeah. like as dave said the the two one that that makes a one one with boast i tried to make a deck with that and i played it and like i uh, you couldn't pay me to do it again yeah. like literally even when i played it on turn one it never did anything i got in for two damage and maybe i weighed a one one and then they played a 3-3, and my 2-1 or my 1-1 never did anything for the rest of the game. Exactly, yeah. And there's no, there's no Anthem effect, there's no uh, there's no overrun, there's no, you know... What well, is uh, the, um, does the uncommon you know, white dude? He's kind of like an Anthem effect, right? The boast guy. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. But it's like, it's it's really hard to, to play these go-wide strategies, you know. it's uh, Boast is not, it's not like an ability that's suited to small creatures, because... They just get eaten up, you know. It's very hard to get value out of, out of that, um, yeah. Because it's not raid; you have to attack with that specific creature. Like there are like busted uncommons, like the Clarion Spirit uh, that yeah. makes a one-one flyer every time. You know, the two-drop for the two-two. That's obviously a broken card, and you'll first pick that every time. And then hopefully, white will be your support creature, and you'll have a load of really good blue or green foretell cards in your deck to make it go off. Right. That's what you're hoping for. Um, yeah, I, I've liked I, I liked white because of its power in uncommon and rare. Like, White has these first Fair. two, three pick section that are unbeatable. White has three genuine A to A plus cards in this set. And then some of the cards that are B, I would argue, could still be like an A. Like, the Restoration Age, I'd give like a B plus, but I wouldn't. If someone said, told me it was an A, I wouldn't argue. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. you can first pick a Star Helm Unleashed or a Doom Scar. And it doesn't matter if your deck is consensus good or the right colors. Those cards are just absurd. They're like. They are absurd, yeah. Doomscar is probably the best ever Wrath and limited Wrath, right? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Like, it's just insane. Like, Get, getting able to disguise yeah. it because there's so many good uh, Fortel cards as well, especially if you're in blue or green. Like, well, it's just 
just a wolf, right? I better commit into the board to be able to attack past a wolf. Yep. Well, that's the, the thing is though, there's very few good white foretell cards. <laughs> so if your opponent plays two planes, I would be I would be pretty wary. But the other colors do, and you're always going to play two colors, right? Of course, um, of course. To, so. to pick up on something you said about boast on small creatures, the boast cards that have actually performed overperformed for me a little bit are the three two boast creatures. So red has one that um, you pay one, and you you look at the top card of your deck, you play it this turn. And green has a, a quite good one where you can pay one and a green to, to search for a land. Get uh, a basic in your hand. Yeah, yeah they're both very good. Both, yeah. both pretty strong. The Most importantly, we'll keep, keep, the red five four. Yeah, is he? I didn't. I didn't good? realize that was one damage to any target. I thought it was just to the opponent the first time I played, it, and then I was like, wait, I can just kill their creature right now. Yeah. like they double blocked my guy with a two one and a three two. And I was like, oh my god, I just kill both creatures now. Yep. Like, they didn't realize either. It's insane. Um, so Sorry, but, I just no, got excited. Not at all, no. <laughs> the, uh, so, yeah, I, we'll keep going back to it, but three toughness being a real magic number in this format makes the three two boast guys playable, basically. And especially the green one, because it fits in those four and five color green strategies so well. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, as, as Starnheim Unleashed, obviously broken Mythic. Yep. I mean, Mythics are allowed to be broken, right? So that's fine. Uh, yeah, Halvar, in, insanely good. Uh, Ray Dane, God of the Worthy, insanely good. You put you pointed out this, Dave, that the back half, that's the shield that prevents one damage from to all your creatures and oh. to you from any source. That's pretty unbeatable in like a clogged up board. Completely unbeatable format. card, yeah. Completely unbeatable, yeah. Just makes double blocks, uh, combat math impossible for your opponents. They they just can't beat it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one thing that people might not realize. If you draft that card, you should probably be playing the shield half a lot more often than the creature half. Yeah. Um, yeah, we haven't really talked about black, so let's talk about black a little bit. Um, um, again, I think black's a support color, honestly. Um, I know Dave was saying that black-white is a thing. Uh, you know, black-white double spelling. Uh, but the, that kind of leans into a couple of um, uncommons, like the Clarion Spirit, which are just kind of broken on their own anyway. Yeah. Um, well, I've, there's the I've, Blood Sky Berserker, right? Which is really good, in my opinion. He's That's quite the good. one Yeah. gets two counters when you play your second spell, and it gains Menace to land a turn. I, I've had that in black-green and in black-red, which is the Berserker's deck, and in both decks, it was just excellent. It's okay. also insane with the fight spell um, in green, because, uh, you know, another counter as well. It just gets enormous very, very quickly. I think that card is, is very good. I think uh, Infernal Pep's a bit better than... We're looking at a, a draft um, list here, and the, the, these guys have Infernal Pep at D+. I think Infernal Pep's a C. I think it's fine. Um, I don't think it's great. I don't think it's no, great. No, you, you... I think... I've, I've liked the damn. I don't know. I think it's like... I, I just don't think it's a... The, it's not that aggressive, the format. So, like, gaining flying for, like, one turn for one counter is a lot worse than just gaining two counters every time for me because that's going to win the long game. I, I think... Better, yeah. you know? I think the deck's where he's good. I think people underestimate how easy it is to consistently two-spell. So, like... Yeah. You'd probably need to two-spell three times for this guy to be really good. But I don't think that's hard. And the fact that he can't block well for the first like two turns he's out is fine because people aren't attacking that much in this format. Or, or not attacking for amounts that we're scared of. But again, it, it's narrow. I, I get kind of why they gave it a D+, because you're not first picking this and like, I'm happy to pair this with any color, right? Like, well, I want to be sure. black-white, I want to be black-red. At a pinch, some kind of aggressive black-green deck, but green decks in general don't care about being aggressive so maybe it's it this d plus isn't speaking to its 
uh, strength to more its flexibility in the first couple picks. What has really impressed yeah, me, yeah. The, the pattern that I've seen black decks do, which has really impressed me, is they've played things like the Ravenous Rats into the removal spell way down, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Um, they've done it into the, the Rise uh, Return, oh sorry, don't know what you call it, the, the Raise Dead, basically you can get the Double Raise Dead, yeah. yeah. Yep. Double Raise Dead, those types of... those types of Draugr. Yeah, those types of kind of recurring, kind of grindy side of black. I think it's that that's impressed me more than the aggro side of it. Yeah, the, the Raise um, Dead is, has been extremely good for me. It, it, it's, yeah. it can't be overstated how easy it is for any color combination to have a dominant creature pairing. They've just designed mm. it in a way that almost every creature, almost every color combination has a most frequent creature so green white even though it doesn't seem to have creature um synergies has warriors 90 percent of your things that as warriors like black white usually has clerics or warriors again but you usually have an overwhelming number of them and they've very importantly made the busted green common the wolf a wolf and not much else a wolf so you can't double raise dead in that yes yeah i think they know what they're doing there yeah i I think they designed that well but yeah like getting getting back your um your ravenous rats with another relevant cleric or elf because they've double typed a bunch of these creatures has made the raised dead reflexible also an instant in case you needed to hold up mana which is incredibly good absolutely yeah one thing i want to note about black um its removal is a little bit light uh, in my opinion, in this format. As a support color, I would like it to have another good removal spell, and it just doesn't. Like, Feed the Serpent is obviously excellent for an instant exile something, but, again, like we said, like, the threats kind of all tend to be kind of similarly statted and kind of medium, so, like, right. four mana is a lot just to remove a 3-3, and the exile clause isn't relevant except for, like, a couple of rares. Um, I, I think... Way Down is, is very good, I think, but Overall, I just feel like the there's not that much removal, and that also boosts blue and green because yeah. they can just they can just play these creatures and just be pretty happy that they're not going to get blown out by like cheap removal. Well, I, I think yeah, I think. Sh- sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say really quickly. I think Wither Crown for that reason has really um, underperformed. It's just not lining up at all with the, with the format. Wither, a card like Wither Crown is really good when you really need to take out a big bomb or a big five five or a four four or something like that. When all your creature opponent's creatures are just three threes and you have a bunch of three threes as well, you don't really care about a card like Wither Crown. No, and a lot of the time when my opponent Wither Crown's my creature, I'm happy to just let it stick around for a couple of turns because my life total isn't being threatened yep. very quickly in a lot of these games. So the card is just has been pretty much a blank a lot of the time for me. Pretty much. Um, I think Way Down is, is like, very good. Yeah. Uh, obviously a little bit situational because you need the card in your graveyard. Obviously Feed the Serpent is, is, is a lot better, but I don't know. For me, just Black hasn't really been doing it on the removal. Also, I got to play with the Crippling Fear Rare, the uh, minus three, minus three. That card is, like, depressingly not as good as it should be because there's just so many shapeshifters in the format yeah. and it never hits a shapeshifter. Yep, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of kind of annoying for me as well. Uh, Blood on the Snow is obviously an insane bomb at Rare. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I... it's it's for me, like, yeah, black, it's, uh, yeah, support color, just, like, not too many, like, even the uncommons don't get me too excited, like the 2-2 Trample Flyer that you can pump for Snow Snow hasn't been great for me either like that card feels like it should be great in this format but it just hasn't been for me either i don't know i don't know it feels like this format's just all about blue and green and the other the other colors are kind of taking a back seat 
I think an issue Black has is it's supposed to hinge a little on how good Feed the Serpent is. And I've actually not been that impressed with Feed the Serpent. I think this is the worst of four mana unconditional plus, because it exiles, right? Unconditional plus uh, removal spell has been. It's just, yeah, one for one isn't exciting. And I know I can't expect more than one for ones out of my commons. But when I'm kill- even when I'm killing, let's say, an Augury Raven, I don't get to get that, get that mana advantage that I used to. I don't get to go and parity or better on mana. Because they've actually kind yeah. of only spent two mana on Augury Raven. Exactly. So they get the yeah. double spell think, on that turn. I think, like, if Murder was in that slot instead of Feed the Serpent, I think Black would be a good bit stronger. I think that would be a much better card for this Doom format. Doomblade? Can we get a Doomblade? Yeah. <laughs> a little Doomblade. Doomblade would, would do the job. Yeah, Doomblade would, would make this... Black but, very strong. And it's not that it's bad. And I, I, I'm rating colors, and I hate to get into these arguments a bit because I think people overestimate the ratings people give, and then they're like, oh, well, they said white wasn't good. I'm just not going to touch white. I think all the colors are perfectly playable in this set. Right. And I, 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 I think Agreed. every archetype has a high upside. It's just that we want to take the archetypes with the lowest downside, and that's probably Green X for the majority because yep. of how good cards like, uh, like Wolfies is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All that put together, I I'm sad to say that I I don't think I'll be drafting this format beyond the thirtieth draft. I've already got twenty drafts under my belt. I'm not going to draft too much more. I think it it's pretty. It's been pretty easily worked out. There's there's really not a lot of depth to this format for me. Sadly, I agree with that. Um, I enjoyed like the. S- the drafting aspect a lot the first few times i thought oh this is so cool i'm making so many decisions with these snowlands and these tribal choices and stuff like that and then after a few drafts i realized actually the snow payoffs aren't that important and the tribal payoffs are very easy to get because of changeling so all the stuff i thought was interesting was actually just kind of done for you so i kind of and 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 yeah the the gameplay isn't that interesting because it's just all board stalls with like three threes basically there's 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 not too many interesting decisions there's not that many combat tricks that are even interesting to give you good like creature combat decisions for yeah for me it's 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 a miss as a draft format yeah. what do you think dev i like it actually I, I don't know why there's nothing in particular where i could go that sparks my interest a lot but it's just a couple archetypes i like i like five color green it's gonna get a bit tiresome because ladder is built yeah, in a way in which you mm-hmm. fight against it multiple times um i think even though it's a solve format and people can grind you out I think you can still outsmart people by them not getting the mechanics of an entire limited deck. So just having good cards and grindy metagames a lot of the time isn't good enough. You have to lean more on interactions that will finish a game through other game finishing effects, if that makes some sense. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, which is why Mistwalker's so busted, because it ends games <laughs> on its own as well. Exactly. Attacks and blocks. It's a, such yeah. a smart creature. Uh, I uh, Yeah, I, I don't know. There's enough... I think the fringe decks are good enough to make me still want to play. Like, you guys know I have a big preference for black-white if I'm in white. That's because that Mm -hmm. deck is, like, interesting. And when you get it, it dominates a bunch of other decks. Like, green-blue is not standing a chance against you double-spelling and putting large creatures in play on turn four. You know, having a Clarion Spirit out. They don't have great answers to that. Um, I I love some of the niche rares in this. Reflections of... uh, uh, Litajara, for example, is a card I've been very high on from the start, and the format has evolved yeah. in a way in which I really like abusing it. Stuff like Green Black Elves only comes around once in the blue moon, but when it does, again, feels like you've done something good. But 
I think you guys are onto something, and a lot of those are tricks, if that makes sense. Those are like little dopamine hits you get from doing something that seems cool, but probably mm. overall isn't that cool long term. Fair points. Yeah, I think for me as well, it's like the last snow format was Modern Horizons, which is maybe one of the best draft formats they've ever done. I only got to draft it a couple times. But the drafting the snowlands in that format felt so cool and interesting and important. And this is just such a... I know I shouldn't treat them the same way because that's like a time spiral set they were able to develop just like as, you know, a, a just for completely enfranchised gamers like us. But uh, but for me, yeah, this is just like... I, I can't help but comparing it to that. and It feels like a miss. All right, guys. So we've covered Limited pretty thoroughly, I would say. Um... Let's move on to standard, or constructed in general, if you guys have opinions about non-standard. We can talk about some Tibble's treachery, trickery nonsense, I guess, if you guys want. But it's all about standard, really. Um, as I said at the start of the show, this format has injected new life into standard for me. I didn't expect it to be so, but like it has created like so many new decks. Uh, all the old decks are playing like a bunch of new cards. Basically, the only deck that went unchanged is Rogues, which is playing See It Coming and maybe Behold the Multiverse, but uh, but not much else. Yep. But uh, but for me, I've, I've just loved this on Arena. Have you guys played? Uh, what do you think? Uh, Niall, you first. Um, I have not played any standard, so, um, but I have seen you and Luke and some of the lads play, and I really liked the blue-red snow deck you were playing. Um, so I want to get into that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on the soapbox about that when it's my turn. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. No problem. Deck. Uh, yeah. Elephant in the room for me has been, you know, the four mana enchantment. The skull, is it, what, what do you call it? Showdown, showdown of the skulls, <sighs> aka Escape to the Wilds, but one mana cheaper. Yeah. yeah, absolutely bonkers card. I would expect that to be banned at some point if the format doesn't find an answer to it. I think you should pro probably just be playing that card in some shell, and that's about it for now. But uh, I'll let you get, yeah. get on your soapbox about the, the snow deck, Karen, because it was super fun to watch. It's, it's great. So I believe LSV uh, put this list together originally, and then the list I was playing, uh, I think, was just like a top one mythic list or something like that, but they're all very similar. But it's basically a classic blue-red kind of Delvery deck. Um, plays uh, four Brazen Borrower, four Bone Crusher Giant, um, and four Goldspan Dragon as the threats. So threat light, like a Delver deck, but all kind of multi-purpose, two-for-one cards. Um, Goldspan Dragon is a two-for-one in that it makes at least a Black Lotus and possibly a Black Lotus every turn. Mm -hmm. Card is absolutely absurd. Um, and then it just plays Permission and Removal, apart from that, Frostbites, Sought Comings, and some card draw plays Behold the Multiverses and stuff like that. Unbelievably fun to play. Um, especially, like, fighting through the ladder on Arena. I'm, I'm in Plat at the moment, Plat 2 or something. I've had a good, good win rate with the deck. Just feels like you get to outplay your opponent so much. Um, you get to just make decisions that really matter uh, with like cheap interaction, which is not something I've been able to do for a while mm -hmm. in standard Magic. Really enjoying that. Um, it plays Snowlands because you play Frostbite, but it doesn't need to. You could just ditch that card and not play Snowlands if you if you didn't want to. Basically, like Goldspan Dragon is the core of the deck. It's what makes it tick. So for those who don't know, Goldspan Dragon is 3 red red for a dragon. It's a 4-4 flyer with haste. And when it attacks or becomes the target of a spell, you create a treasure token. 
and it has treasure tokens you control have the ability tap sack for two mana of any one color so it makes your treasure tap for two two mana instead of one this card is absolutely bonkers it's seeing play in red white it's seeing play in mono red it's seeing play in gruel it's seeing play in naya and it's seeing play in this is a deck i think this is probably like the best deck for it the is a deck mm-hmm. because basically on the turn you jam it on turn five if you get to let's say you play it and they immediately try and kill it uh you make a treasure in response and you have a negate or a foretelt saw coming you just get to counter that immediately uh for free essentially and then you get to attack and that makes another treasure and then you have an essence scatter in hand or a bone crusher giant stomp in hand you get to kill their next player counter their next play or they just have nothing and you get to untap attack again and now you've two treasures in play that make two mana each plus you have your five mana from last turn right it's almost impossible to lose the game from there it's it's i cannot overstate how bonkers this card is i said this to a friend of the show david wolf friend and editor of the show on discord he was like how does this compare to Glorybringer?" i was like it's much better and he was like don't believe you i was like that's fair wait till you play with it and then i think he watched me stream for like two games and he was like i understand now <laughs> yeah. it's bonkers it's like like in this deck after uh, with the treasure token that produces two mana you can cast petty theft off brazen borrower you can cast stomp you can cast negate you can cast essence essence scatter uh you can cast uh, a foretold saw coming or beyond the multiverse also, when you untap the next turn, if you have a Shatter Skull smashing in hand, you are guaranteed to be able to play that for X equals six and kill two huge green creatures. Like, there's just like, it's, uh, and there's so many stuff like Fortel and Adventure Creatures in the deck that you just always have something to do with the mana. It's never like you're like, oh, I made two mana and I have a treasure token. I can't do anything with it. You just always have something to do. It's just bananas. I was going so far as to think I might add one of like the blue bolt land uh, to the deck. The one that draws cards and means you have no maximum hand size. Just because like you just can't have enough mana sinks with this card in your deck. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And it's basically like those support cards were always there. Like the Brazen Borrower like is one of the best blue tempo cards that's been printed in the last few years but what was missing from that strategy was like the delver of secrets and it call it feels weird to call a five mana dragon a delver of secrets but that's basically the role it fulfills in the deck it's like instead of playing the delver on turn one and then controlling the game you control the game on turn five play your delver dragon and then you keep controlling the game with the free mana from there so that's that's been it for me. Dave, I know you're a big fan of this card as well. What do you think of it? Yeah, I think you've covered it pretty well there. The, the card is very pushed and certainly format-defining to the extent where you should probably have clear answers to the strategy it's employing or mm-hmm. just the card itself in your deck. Uh, Soul Shatter is a big example of this that black decks can bring in. But that card doesn't mm-hmm. gel well with huge other parts of the format. So... Yeah, I, I I'm playing it in a Rakdos build at the moment uh, as a sideboard card. I I'm not yeah, convinced. Okay. I like that. Yeah, I'm not convinced. It's fantastic though. I, I think I do have a fine matchup against Blue Red. I, I the format's been really interesting, and uh, I think Cal uh, Kaldheim is a strong format for constructed. Brings multiple cards in. That's not to speak when stuff rotates. There's a lot of cards just under the surface that are waiting for like. A good shell or a rotation to be broken. Uh, Starhelm Unleashed, uh, 
chariot or as I affectionately call it, Kapos. Um, there's just so many cards just right there that could, like, I can see me being sick of that chariot card in a year and a half, a year, you know? Going, oh, how can a mid-range card be that good when all this, like, a lot of this nonsense mm. rotates a lot of the, the, um, what's the, Eldraine, Eldraine, Eldraine yeah, when Throw the Eldraine, Eldraine. nonsense yep. rotates, yeah, yeah. I can see, um, yeah, I, I can see those green cards dominating. But I, I've been happy where it is. I'm not doing too well, I'll say, at the moment in the format. Uh, Kier, uh, Kieran has a much better record than me. I'm trying to make uh, Mythic in at least one thing. I'd, I'd love to play a big event and haven't played one of the... I don't know what they call them. Myth, mythic Qualifier, Mythic Championship, Mythic Mythics. Uh, yeah, qual- Qualifiers. Yeah. 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 I, I haven't played yeah. one of them, so I'd like to go play one of them at the end of the season. I'm finding my feet. Everything I'm playing has fine win rates. Something sees too dominant... Uh, I still fucking hate Ugin. Ugin is, yeah, just a, it's an old card, so people know about it, but to me, we were talking about this before, Dave, to me, one of the biggest mistakes they made was reprinting that into Standard. Why, why did this card need to see Standard play again? It's just the same thing as it was last time. It's not interesting. Yeah, just like, a stupid big trump card. Like... Uh, yeah, colorless, big, stupid, colorless ramp card that wins the game when you cast it. Why do we need this card again? Yeah. I get they needed to reprint it because it was like 50 quid and it's a big commander card or whatever and sees a tiny amount of modern play. Why Why did it need to be standard? Why couldn't this have been in the next Master set or Modern, I, modern yeah. Horizons? It pisses me off, to be honest. I hate this card. There's one thing I, that I think... I think there's one thing that it does, even though I dislike it, and it puts a stop to the format. I think while it might be there from a testing perspective, putting myself in the kind of seat of wizards, is how grindy those stupid Yorion decks are now with the, what's it called, the Binding? What's what's that card called? Uh, binding of the Old Gods. Yeah, it's it's two black-red for a saga. The first part is destroy non-target permanent. The second part is search for a forest, put it into play tapped. And the third part is all your creatures get death touch. Yeah, uh, green, green, black, not black, right? But yes, yeah, yeah, perfect. Uh, sorry, green, black. Uh, yes. That card in the Yorion decks were already good, but that card gives them a whole new level of grindiness where there's very little that can actually end the games. And I think Ugin is supposed to yep. be kind of an answer to this, where no matter how big a Yorion board gets, you're able to go, Ugin, it's all gone. You know, yeah. and, and that's a definite stop to the game. Like, Ugin can end games of Magic. And I think there's a bit of a fear, especially with Arena and our minds, that games just go on forever, like the full hour and a bit every time. Well, keep in mind when they designed this set, the old companion rule would have still existed. So the Yorion would have always been there on turn five. So, like, would you ever have even gotten to cast an Ugin <laughs> against Yorion? That's very know. true, actually. It's it's crazy when you think about if there were no bans, what would be in this format right now? To be honest, like Oko, once upon a time would still be around. Fires. You'd still have the old companion room. Uro. Uh, fires would have rotated, right? That was War of the Spark, I think. No, 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 that was that was Throne. That was Oh, that was Throne. Oh my what god, a buff so insane. Magic set, like Uro, Uro would still be legal. Like it's like you can almost throw throw everything out the window as to what they intended because the format is so different from what they probably tested at this point that. They're probably just sitting there sweating, being like, please, please, no more bands. Please don't find anything broken. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think Goldspan Dragon is definitely one of the pillars of the format. It's it's shown up in uh, kind of, I guess, well, I'll explain what I think the, the pillars of the format are deck-wise. I think Yorion decks is a good one. 
whether that's kind of the blue-based ones. There's like Esper, Yorion with Doom Foretold, still very good. Uh, there's kind of the big green creature decks, whether that's Mono Green, which is seeing play, whether that's Gruul, whether that's Naya, which is kind of more smaller mid-range with Showdown of the Scalds. And then there's the other more aggro-based Showdown of the Scalds decks, which have, uh, you know, they can, they can be almost mono-white, they can be almost mono-red. Um, somewhere in between, basically. Just just playing uh, the good kind of cheap creatures and, and playing Showdown of the Scalds. Um, I think that's basically it. And then, like, the Izzet deck, I'm not even convinced is top tier. I think it's just a good grinding deck if you think you're a better player than the average arena player you're playing against. I think you can really leverage a skill edge against that, but it's probably something I'll drop when I reach Mythic. Hopefully, if I reach Mythic this month. Um... Yeah, that, that's pretty much it for standard for me. I think, yeah, as I said, Rogues is still around, still a perfectly viable choice if people have that deck crafted. I think you're basically going to do the same thing you did last month, but it's quite good. You know, it's 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 disruptive. It's got counter spells, all that. Like, it's 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 just still a very good deck. Um, yeah, in terms of other formats, I can already speak about Modern, where we've hilariously seen Tybalt's Trickery uh, become an all-in turn two combo deck casting big emerkles or other eldrazi basically the combo is you have tybalt's trickery and fast mana and uh, all the three mana cascade spells and you just cast a tybalt's trickery cascade uh and if you don't hit an eldrazi you hopefully hit another tybalt's trickery which hits another cascade spell which hits an eldrazi <laughs> so it's just like it's like it's like one of those really shiny pub you know, bingo machines or whatever, like, you know, that uh, you're just trying your best on turn two to do something broken. Yeah, I hate, I hate uh, it. It's, yeah, it's, hate it it's terrible. It's ridiculous. Uh, it seems very consistent. It's something like 40% to cast an Eldrazi on turn two, <laughs> which which seems way too good. Yeah. Um, you know, if people are trying to do anything fair in the format, it's not enough in modern to just say, oh, you should have force negation in your deck. Like, you know what I mean? It's not legacy. Force of will isn't, isn't force negation. Um, this deck probably needs to go just so people can enjoy playing their modern what? games online. I, think. I hate it in standard. I think it is a thing in standard, but it's less consistent. And I think you're hitting. It's. I mean, it doesn't matter that the threats you're hitting are less because you're still hitting a. I, I was about to say it, it's, right, I, guess. I think yeah. it's only slightly less consistent. It's still like I oh, think it's okay. like well, still high seventy percent to hit. Uh Okay, and it's yeah. just obnoxious. You're you're less likely to win because they can still it's hitting Ugans and you can still just kill the Ugans. But sometimes it has coma as mm -hmm. well. Like it just wins on turn two, a lot. Yeah, that's probably unbeatable. Yeah, we saw we saw the day nine clip where he hits like an Ugin, a, co uh, a coma, and uh, 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 what's her name? Best the Sea God, Kiora, Best the Sea God. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's pretty silly. Um, like even I if it's know, not too least, good, it's not it's not uh, fun yeah. for either person. I imagine like it's a novelty the first couple times you do it, but then you're you're just a deck that Mulligans loses thirty percent of its games without getting interacted with it at all, or wins like seventy percent of its games while they have some interaction. That that kind of sucks. Yeah, I think it. I think I don't care about it as much in standard because like. There's a lot of blue decks in Standard, and they're all going to contain, like, two Negates and three Mystical Disputes in the sideboard, right? Whereas the average modern deck, for one, there's a lot fewer blue decks in general, and also in the sideboard, they're not going to have that kind of generic interaction that will beat this combo. Um, 
So I feel like it's more of a problem in modern than it is in standard, because it'll just lose sideboard games a lot more often in standard. But, you know, we'll see. It, it could turn out to be a problem, for sure. Uh, one thing, uh, Niall, I was going to talk about, I have sadly not really gotten to play with uh, Valky slash Tybalt oh. yet. Uh, despite how much we were talking it up, how hype we were, I did build one deck with it. That was like a black range mid range deck, black red mid range deck. Dave, is is Valky in your black red deck? Or yeah, no? yeah, he's um, he's been fine. He's not like exceedingly broken. I don't think I've ever cast a Tybalt. Not not that it's not good, but like I, mm. I just haven't got there. It just hasn't come up. Yeah, it's just a great utility card. Like, it's just a good card that's never been amazing for me, but I know is just good. It's hard to describe. What's the spiciest thing you've uh, turned turned Valky into? Nothing. He's just at removal spells a lot. <laughs> oh, he just needs removal. But that's fine. You're two-drop, right? So, that's yeah. Fine. It's totally exactly. fine. I had him in draft once. Uh, I was in all the colors except for black and red, but I was base green, oh. so I just got to draft him, like, second pack and play him anyway. <laughs> so that's cool. That was fun. I, I, yeah, I I want to go back. I want to try him out. I feel like he's a very good card. I think he's yeah. a bone crusher like eighty percent of the time. Yeah, again, oh, that's totally, fine. Totally. Yeah, that's yeah. that's amazing. If yeah. you, if you snag the bone crusher yeah. on the play, they they'll get to use it. That's so good. Yeah, that's like the anti two for one. That's like a four for one because you stop their two for one. Right. That's how it works. All right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I I, okay. I haven't been a, a, a paying attention to the formats as much as you, but I'll do my normal thing of wait wait until the format's already solved, and then pick a deck I like rather than getting in and I mean, crafting. Yeah, I mean that that could be a good way to go. Honestly, uh, I think like there's lots of stuff you can play at the moment that's fine. Uh, Gruel is really good. Yeah. Again, Goldspawn Dragon is super good there. Um, I think like all the Orion options are good, whether it's Abzan, whether it's uh, you know Esper, whether it's something else. Control, I don't really think is a thing. I, a few people have played against me playing blue white and trying to, you know, foretell right. their their doom scars and their beholden multiverses. Just don't think it competes with the threats people are putting out at the moment at all. To be honest, right, right. Um, I would definitely be doing something proactive. Always a good idea in the early days of a format, but especially with these cards that we've just been given. Like it, they're they're all about being proactive. Absolutely. So, so I like that a lot. Um. Yeah, that'll probably do it for the constructed segment. Cool. Um, and that'll probably do it for us for the week, I think, guys. So, again, thank you, Dave. Uh, a lot of great limited and constructed knowledge you dropped on us this week. And, so, and some great poker knowledge as well. Uh, and, and just to note, because I, I, I realized we didn't bring this up before, Dave is, in fact, the player that bested me in our home game in our Hand of the Week last week. So we were we were singing your praises last week, Dave, on the on the podcast. On the thank you. I, I, I listened to it. I uh, appreciated the... Uh positive feedback very nice to see you guys yeah no worries i mean listen when i lose all my money i have to <laughs> have to hold my hands up and say yeah it okay guys so uh so that's it for me thanks very much for thanks listening. listening thanks guys and uh, cheers Steve. thank you So, uh, back for another end of show segment. I really hope uh, you guys enjoyed uh, the, the episode. And again, big thanks to Dave for stepping in and helping us this week. Um, had a little conversation topic prepared. 
Um, so I don't want this to be too grind my gearsy, but this does grind my gears. Do you ever do you ever see when you're talking about like a film and someone says, "Oh yeah, but have you have you read the book?" It's like oh, like the book's course, automatically better. Well, I tell you what, I've got a list of I've got a list or kind of a, a few films that were better than the book. Can you think, guys, of any film that was better than the book? Because the, the for me the the, the heuristic people like bring out is oh the, the book's always better but it's it's not true yeah for me there's one that jumps out at me straight away which is gone girl by gillian flynn or Gillian flynn oh yeah uh i read the book uh when it came out it was a super super huge kind of popular thriller when it came out great book um i don't read many like thrillers but i really enjoyed it uh very well written uh, David Fincher directed the film adaptation, and I saw it. I don't think I saw it in the cinema. I think I saw. Yeah, I think I just watched it. Uh, watched it at home on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, definitely Netflix. Uh, not torrented. <laughs> and I was blown away at how good an adaptation it was. Nice. It's the only adaptation of book of a book I've seen where every character looked exactly like I thought they would, and every like scene. The set looked exactly like I imagined it in the book. Wow. Like, and I'm not like a very uh, visual imagination person when I read books. Like, I don't have very strong like pictures in my head of, of what I'm thinking of. But even so, uh, I was blown away because I was like, yeah, that's exactly what the book is. Like, this is a perfect adaptation. Um, so definitely recommend that. Um, I don't know if I would say the film is better than the book, but... I think it's it's as good as an adaptation possibly could have been in the book. Cool. Uh, what about yourself, Dave? Any, any? Yeah, there's a couple I got. So um, yep. I'm going to go with a controversial but very mainstream one. I think the Lord of the Rings movies are better than the book. And I love the book. Agreed. Mm, okay. Yeah, uh, I think that's fair. I think the books are very niche and nerdy, even though they're fantastically and beautifully written by a great author. I think the movies, while having their flaws, are much more accessible to a wide crowd and do a, an amazing job at editing down a very good source material. So I think mm-hmm. the movies are better. Um, the Princess Bride is famously a better movie than a book. It was like it, oh, it's yeah, like a book yeah. about a book. So the the book that he's drawing inspiration from is about another book, but the movie is better than the book. Um, <laughs> the uh, to go kind of a little bit a little bit different on the question. Um, the Boys series at the moment on Amazon is better than the Boys comic book. I think cool. Okay. I I think we're going to come across this a little bit. I think the boys' comic book has probably aged a little poorly in its portrayal of its female characters, while the series has not. Obviously, very new and fresh, and we're in a, okay. a little bit of a better society in some of those regards. So I, that's good. So I think the boys' series tangles a lot with a lot more nuance and is a little less dark, which is sometimes a little less uh, a little better, a little less bleak. Uh, it, tang- it tangles with the nuance of uh, of its matters a little bit better than. A very uh, teenagey comic book with a lot of graphic content for kind of shock factor. Not in always a bad way, but some uh, sometimes in a, a pretty good way. Uh, Got you. I've also very recently watched a Lindsay Ellis uh, YouTube video, fantastic uh, content creator, recommend her a bunch, about the Hunchback of Notre Dame um, movie, the old Disney movie, which is a lot better than you remember it, so I'd recommend going back and watching it. But also that it is maybe not strictly better uh, than the book because the book is very good. But because it's so new, again, tells a completely different story to the book while staying very true to it. So the original book is about... 
It's a Victor Victor Hugo yeah, book, Victor right? Hugo, it's, yeah. it's like a famous French novel. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. same guy that did. Uh, it's like Rome. a very early novel as well. It's like, as far as I know, historically, it's close to when novels, like when novels were getting printed at first. You know what I mean? Like when they became. Right. Uh, wow. So, um, what, what the original book is about is uh, Notre Dame, like published print, killing the communication of uh, of. Uh, I keep wanting to say agriculture, that's not the work. Architecture. So architecture and the shapes and uh, local buildings are what communicated stuff to people. So like you, you, when you pass a church, it communicates something to you, right? Like it's imagery, right. it's statues, yeah. it's arches. They all communicate something to you. And that's the way like you'd communicate things with peasants back in the day to, to a certain degree. And uh, Hugo thought that... Uh, the book was uh, that was going to get lost in printed word, much like people today think that the internet is taking importance away from books. And they thought if you didn't preserve these buildings, if these buildings got overlooked and they weren't considered masterpieces like they once were, we were going to lose that to society. Now, because of the prominence of his book and other people, you know, uh, ringing the same bells, no pun intended, that never happened. We never lost architecture. We still marvel in it. A lot mm. today. So you can't make that argument again in a new movie. You can't say the printed word is killing archi- architecture yeah, and yeah. the need for it. So yeah. it had to So they had to they had to a new spin on Yeah, so the new thing. spin of the yeah. hunchback, the Disney movie, is more about um you know, acceptance and it's about basically racism, as a lot of Disney <laughs> movies are. But yeah, it's it's about loving people and accepting people and uh the evils of racism and probably zealot zealotry. And it's decently done, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. arguably, like, the a book, while it can be marveled at for being a very well-written book, isn't that relevant in today's world anymore, whether the movie is. Mm, yeah, I could almost be argued against as well, because when I hear you say that, it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, the that architecture stuff did inspire kind of fear and reverence of the peasants, but that was almost, for me, that's like a tool of oppression yeah. that the church was able to use over the common people to be like we're we're so much bigger and better than you you know so i feel like it's not only not relevant it's it's like well, i would argue with even if it's if it's even a, a good little thing. ironically in a bunch of french revolutions one of them which happened soon after the publishing of that book a lot of notre dame got damaged but one thing where the the king statues you see at the start i don't, I don't know if this has survived the current notre dame catastrophe two years ago but there's a bunch of, uh, I think it's the kings from, uh, it's supposed to be Jerusalem or something like that, in the front. But they thought the kings were French kings. So they chopped the heads off the statues during the revolution and like unhung them. So the the architecture communicated the wrong thing and got destroyed because of it. And like, that's a very ironic <laughs> turn from the book. Very good. Alright, Niall, so you brought up this topic and then you haven't got a word Oh, no, don't worry, I, I don't mind. I mean, we only have Dave on, you know, for, for now, you know, I'm sure we'll have him on in the future, but this is a treat, <laughs> so um, I've got a load, so um, the, first of all, the recommendation I wanted to bring to you guys, because I rewatched it recently, was American Gods, have you guys seen this one? No, I've heard good things, though. It's really... I watched the, I watched the first couple. Fair, fair, so... The book is written by Neil Gaiman, who's who's good. I like him, but I think the the the, the film was better. Anything written by Stephen King, I think the film's better because <laughs> I think Stephen King's pure trash. The, the but he's sh- like a good, he's good. He's a good concept. He's good at coming up with concepts, you know. Yeah, I mean the Dark Tower film is definitely not better than the book. Good point. But I don't even. Yes, but I don't think the, the books are I good. Think I think the film is just yeah. very bad. <laughs> right. Um. 
anything uh one of my favorite films is a time to kill and the book by john grisham is pure utter trash <laughs> and it's, it's 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 like one of those books you read when you're like nine or ten to learn how to read if that makes sense um anything by oh american psycho have you read american psycho i haven't read it no it's yeah it's it's basically just like a kind of stream of consciousness i want to say kind of yeah it's sort of like it doesn't have the irony that the film has so it just comes across as just this horrible blithe kind of indulgent yes stream of consciousness thing yeah i mean he's a terrible writer uh, uh easton ellis he's, he's awful yeah and, and that film is great because in film again you can you can you can show its parody at such a, a comical level you know Absolutely. what i mean everything about especially the performance by christian bale is just so ridiculous <laughs> like you know the the scene with the with the um with the the business cards oh, and stuff perfect. like that you know, incredible, but it's like, and and it's done in such a way that you you can't possibly take it seriously. Whereas whereas uh, Brett Easton Ellis's writing almost like revels in it, and you can tell he's just a little pervert, and he's he's just That's not it. a very good writer. That's so it. yeah, and another book, God, it, it escapes me now. Um, oh yeah, I think the Silence of the Lambs is better than the book. I, 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 oh well, one of the maybe my favorite film, one of the one of the greatest. Films yeah, ever the, made. the book yeah. is kind of it's written in the first person from the detective's perspective, I believe. And again, it's this kind of stream of consciousness. Like I, I'm not really a fan of first person narrative anyway, so maybe that's my bias. But I think the film is perfect. It's so well acted. Um, it's got all these layers to it, and the book's kind of linear, honestly. So, look, yeah. film does something that books can't, and vice versa. I think there's value in both, and I certainly don't. I hope we don't lose the written word, and I don't think we will. But there are many, many examples of of, of the film being better than the book. Absolutely, I would I would argue this any day. I, th- I think I think the most interesting one maybe that was brought up is Dave's bringing up Lord of the Rings, where mm. the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings were like so huge to my childhood. You know. The, probably the first like proper long books I ever read mm. when I was like 10 or 11 or something like that. And I loved them, loved them, loved, loved them, loved them. But now looking back, I'm like, Tolkien was a great storyteller, but he wasn't a great like prose writer. No. And he, you know, he really needed an editor that he never got. And so we end up with like a hundred pages of Tom Bombadil songs. And yeah, the best bit of the of, book. Uh, Deus yeah. Ex Machina when the, when the eagles show up and all this nonsense. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, there's so many bad bits in the books that, film they're able to just turn that into just a joyous ride um keep all the story elements you know that that he was great at that he created and you know get rid of the kind of uh the, the sort of plodding bad prose that that he wasn't so great at writing so I, I think that i think that is the one of the most interesting ones I, i'll rattle off one or two quick ones at the end here because i think they're really famous but a lot of people just don't even know they have books blade runners famously one of them do Androids Dream of oh, Electric yeah. Sheep mm-hmm. is the a book, book it's adapted for. Yeah, not a great book. Uh, yeah, seemingly not a great average book, yeah. kind of fine sci-fi book, much better movie. Though at the time when it was released, not always thought of as a much better movie. One that uh, we can t- mm-hmm. we can say, uh, this is so a bit cheating, it's one from all Disney movies, like have a book technically. But Beauty and Beast, the actual book is not fantastic. Same with, I guess, Cinderella you could say as well. But those original books, those old like proverbs and tales that don't really count anymore <laughs> that we're not just all farmers yeah. aren't all super religious farmers aren't fantastic uh jaws <laughs> they're basically 
like all those old tales are just about how women get punished for not being virgins. This is what you get for flirting, wanting nice right? things. Yeah. I said work exactly. the field. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, uh, Jaws was a book, and I I didn't even know okay. that and, uh, until we start talking. About it. I, I, I looked up a famous Jaws one. the book. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I, that's an incredible fact because it has to be so far removed from the film. Because I know yeah. the film, and this is an incredible fact for for how good a film Jaws is, one of the greatest, greatest films of all time. Jaws was rewritten four, three or four times during filming by like several different script writers. It was like they didn't know what they were doing day to day. It was getting rewritten every single day on set. So I can't imagine it has any resemblance to the original book. The, the last one I'll give apparently isn't that far removed from the book, but is just so well acted that it's incredible. It's No Country for Old Men. It was a was a book that's oh, just yeah. kind of been forgotten to time because No Country for Old Men is so good and has such incredible acting in it. It's hard to associate it with anything else. Awesome. Thanks very much. And Dave, once again, uh, really enjoyed your time on the on the pod and we'd love to have you back in the near future. Anytime, guys. All right, All right peace. Thanks, guys. See you now.